pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and this week I'm joined by both of my fabulous co-hosts. I'm Pai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willie Dollins, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So I'm back for the week, guys, and since we're all here together, uh, right on the... Uh, after the biggest movie of the summer has just released, guess what we'll be reviewing for our monthly millennial movie review? It's Avengers- Ready Player One, guys. It's Ready Player One. <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. So Avengers Infinity War is the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film. It's the 18th film. 19th. 19th film. Oh, I'm sorry. In the long-running Infinity uh, Marvel Universe that's been going on for 10 years now since Iron Man first kicked it off in 2008. So Infinity War is the culmination of all these movies and stories. And it's directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. It stars Robert Downey Jr., Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, Josh Brolin, Chris Hemsworth, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Elizabeth Olsen, Zoe Saldana, (laughs) uh, Paul Bettany. You going? I'm going to do all of them. This could be the entire episode. Karen Gillan, Mark Ruffalo, Vin Diesel, Dave Bautista, Sebastian Stan, Benedict Wong, Tom Clementif, uh, and of course, featuring a special cameo by Stan Lee. Oh, I missed a bunch of others, but you know what? Of course. I you mean, guys I'm all know who's in those movies. You guys absurd. have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe for long enough. So, what is Infinity War about? Uh, the Avengers are united to battle their most powerful enemy yet, the evil Thanos. Uh, on a mission to collect all six Infinity Stones, Thanos plans to use the artifacts to inflict his twisted will on reality. The, of, the fate of the planet and existence itself has never been more uncertain as everything the Avengers have fought for, for has led up to this moment. So, this is the big one, guys. This is the end game, as one character so eloquently and kind of on the nose states towards the end <laughs> of Infinity War. Uh, let's, let's give our real. first... That character was never very subtle. <laughs> let's nah, first give like our, um, our spoiler-free thoughts, uh, initial thoughts about Infinity War, and then we'll dive into a spoiler review of the Avengers 3. Okay. So, Willoughby, why don't you go first? What did you think about Infinity War? As a cohesive motion picture, it's a lot. Um, there's okay, so you know how the, the the Deathly Hallows were split up into two parts, and the first one really doesn't make sense without the second, and vice versa. Actually, I, I like, would say the first one works really well as a solo film. You know Agreed. What? I more, love the first. Deathly that's, Hallows. that's that's more accurate. The second doesn't really work without the first. Yeah. However, I would say that. In 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 summation in similar fashion, this movie doesn't work unless you've seen the other nineteen movies. I think, you know, because it is a culmination. Like I think there's, like you, they don't do except for the new characters. Everyone else is kind of already introduced in previous movies, so they really kind of just pick up from where they were. There's no real like this is Iron Man. He's his name is Tony Stark. Like we know who all these people are. So like. 
it's all about bringing them together. It's sort of like Avengers, the first one, but like on a, a much more epic scale because we've also got the Guardians going in, in this time, and Thor is back with his ass Guardians. I this is a real long stalling because I want to say I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it had a lot of really great, cool moments, um, and the F, the ending left me a little shattered, a little broken. But I know that there's a part two. And so I'm excited for it. It still has me excited for what they're going to do in next year. Um, I thought that the action pieces were really fun and cool and uh, great to watch. Um, I watched it for for reference. I saw this in IMAX 3D. Um, so like the biggest sound and the biggest screen possible and three dimensions of uh, cinema scope. So there was all that going on. Um I thought Thanos was an interesting villain. I wouldn't say he's their greatest villain, um, but I do like that they gave him, you know, like more of a backstory. We kind of understood more from the point of his point of view of why he's doing the what he's doing. Um, although yeah, it is we'll different get from into the him comics. Characters, I think. Sorry, we'll get into him when we discuss characters. Of course, of course, but he's a big part of the movie, and I think if, I can't discuss him, my thoughts without referencing him at least once. Um, and I thought that the movie went in places I thought it wasn't going to go, and then it went in places I did think it was going to go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's not much I can say without getting into specifics, but I liked it. Thought it was, I thought it was a good, a good first half of a payoff of 10 years. So, I agree with you about those really cool moments, but I don't think that this movie was more than just the collection of really cool jaw-dropping, cheer-worthy moments. It wasn't really a movie, actually. It was just, you know, all, a series of these moments. And while I did cheer every time something really cool or really uh, compelling happened, I found myself feeling, like, a little empty at the end. Not just because of the way it ended, because we know that there will be another movie and we know, like, the future of the cinematic universe, but it just felt like a series finale a se- not a series finale, a season finale for a long-running TV show. And I think that is sort of sim- emblematic of the long-running problem with a lot of Marvel movies and that they just feel like chapters in a, u- in a longer story. And it's like the serialization of the Marvel Universe. This feels like kind of the... It has... It kind of the, the curse and the blessing of that sort of formula. And uh, so Infinity War, I enjoyed in the moment... But I won't say that it really stands alone as a film because it's not really a film. It's just, it's, it's a fun movie for fans, but I don't think that it will really appeal to people outside of that fandom. Although, I did go see it with my mom, who's really only seen uh, all the Avengers movies on TV and uh, on reruns of Cable and everything. And she's like, yeah, I know all the characters. The only movies that she's seen in theaters is Guardians of the Galaxy and Black Panther. And she's like, I got, a, I kept along. And she's like, it was fine. So I don't know. It was, um, It's a really interesting experiment uh, creatively and commercially. But I'm not exactly sure that it was a, the payoff that we were waiting for. So those are my spoiler-free thoughts. Anya, what did you think? Um, I fall a little more in line with you, H.G., um, with a couple additional thoughts. I 
really enjoyed it in the moment like you did. And this is always a problem for me with movies like this is when I see them opening night in a fan packed theater, I always enjoy them more than a few days later when I've let everything sink in because I'm like so caught up and all the emotions and the energy. So like you guys, I was cheering in a lot of scenes and I was excited and I was really enjoying it. And now a few days have passed since I've seen it and I feel kind of shrug about it. Um, I think for me, I think I'm, I agree with you, HT, that it was a lot of like set pieces. Um, and even though a lot happened, it also felt like nothing happened for me. Um, and my biggest thing, honestly, is that this movie, for me, had zero emotional resonance. It had no lingering emotions. I felt very kind of shrug okay at the end. Um, and I am bothered by the fact that the movie was so packed that it didn't allow its emotional beats to breathe. Um, and there are a couple specific instances we'll talk about when we get to spoilers. Um, but yeah, I, I had fun. I think it's a feat in and of itself that this movie even exists. I think it's fine that it's only for fans and people who are not fans of the MCU won't get it because I don't think a movie like this needs to appeal to people who don't see it because why would they be seeing this movie anyway? Um, but I think ultimately it it didn't impact me the way I hoped it would. Yeah, I definitely de- didn't feel the the soaring emotions and the just like yeah. the, the lingering lingering thoughts that I had with Black Panther, which is just a phenomenal film. And I feel or like even coming Thor off Ragnarok, or even Thor Ragnarok, yeah, which like, like have spoiled us coming honestly. off some of the best Marvel movies that we've had. Uh, in recent years, Avengers Infinity War just felt like almost compulsory in a way. It was just like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, a, it was a requirement that we see this. And <laughs> I don't want to compare it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but you know how like at the beginning of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and like the beginning of the Marvel TV universe, it felt like, oh, we have to watch this to see the rest of the story and to keep up with the story. At points, Infinity War sometimes felt like that. But why don't we uh, move on into our spoiler thoughts of Avengers Infinity War. So we're going to break this down like we usually do with our reviews. We go to uh, story, characters, and themes. So why don't we dive into the story? What did you guys think of it? I mean, like, the thing is, Avengers Infinity War has kind of the most, I don't want to say banal, but very simple stories because it's really based around the MacGuffin, which is sort of the biggest plot conceit you can have in a movie. But do you guys think that it pulls it off? Does it work for you guys? Yes and no. I think everyone's been calling this movie, like everyone's been saying this movie really feels like a part one. Mm -hmm. And it does. But it also feels like a part two. Like it feels like this overarching arc should be like, you know, a three movie arc. And this is like the Empire Strikes Back of it, which is why we knew... Thanos was going to come out victorious at the end because that's how it works in three act stories. Yeah. You have to have your villain. That Empire Strikes Back uh, comparison is actually really good because I did really feel, especially with the planet hopping and the sort of going back and forth between those multiple storylines, that did have that sort of Empire Strikes Back feeling, which is really interesting. Yeah, and with like Thanos winning at the end and then the Empire winning at the end and Empire Strikes Back, and then like your next movie is when the heroes actually win. Mm-hmm. But it feels like this movie should have it it 
between Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Civil War, it, it I don't know where this movie really fits. Like it, there's been so much story and so many different arcs that like this movie is a weird fit for me. Like I said, it's a part one and a part two, mm-hmm. and that's why I think I kind of agree with you, HG, that it feels more compulsory than anything else. Like they've been leading up to this moment, so they kind of had to do all this until we get to next year's film. And so, but I think I will say structure wise and story wise, I was impressed. This movie was very well paced. It didn't feel like three hours at all. Very well directed. Yeah. And it was like, it felt balanced. Mm -hmm. Like some characters didn't need a lot of screen time, but I'm sure they will in the next film. But like the characters who did the characters who were really moving this movie's plot along, I felt like it was very balanced between all of them. So I will give them props for a jam packed movie. Like they handled it well. Yeah. I think with, like the fact that there are 20 characters some characters are going to get short shrifts and hopefully part two or whatever they're going to call it does kind of remedy that you know we see well, that we'll see more obviously the people that we want to see more of uh okay we're in spoilers they're 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 still alive at the end so we're going to see them in right at the start of the beginning so like captain america we're going to probably get a, get a lot more of him in part two than we did in part one that was one of my biggest problems with the movie um and that, uh, yeah, I think that they focused on characters we didn't really get a lot of development in previous film, films, like Wanda and Vision. I really like that they delved delved deep into their dived deep into their relationship because we really have only seen hints of it in. Uh, well, first of all, Age of Ultron was only a moment, and then Civil War was only a couple scenes, and it was they they were very platonic. Um, this one, I'm I'm glad to see they actually like delved into a, a romance. Um, I was thinking uh, about HT the entire time. Yeah, yeah I, I think like, I'm one of the oh, few who like actively she... ships Vision and Wanda ever since the first time they laid, laid, eyed on each, laid eyes on each other in Age of Ultron. Like, I don't know why. It just turned me into a shivy well, fangirl. Well, it helps that they're, like, a couple in the comics. And yeah. So, like, there mm-hmm. is a history behind them and that, like, they get married and they have kids. Mm-hmm. And, like, so, like, I went in already, like, shipping them because of the comics. Yeah. Um, But every time yeah. they were on screen, I just thought of you, HT. Yeah, I, for me, I will say, I'm going to take over this conversation for a little bit. I think the reason that they work so well is because, do you guys remember that sort of Twitter um, thread that was going around where it was like the glance and like you, rom-coms really uh, rely heavily on the, the looks that people have between each other, like the unrequited looks and everything. And that's the importance of um, having a really strong chemistry between two rom-com leads. I will say, Vision and Wanda, they have the looks down pat like the one they stare into each other's eyes you can tell there's something going on there they're looking into each other's <laughs> souls okay go ahead willoughby or mindstone um and so i really liked that they were kind of interspersing the different there was i mean there's like an a b c d e f and g plot to this movie um but the fact that the like thanos had a lot of had a lot more backstory i appreciated that um I appreciated that the that the movie was very funny um and that it moved it along because otherwise it'd be very like kind of it would be Batman versus Superman if there was no humor I feel like cuz this is kind of like a world-ending event um and so the fact that the characters are still quippy is still kind of like what we love about Marvel you know mm-hmm. um and so that the the characters kept the movie the story going and I really appreciated that and the writing was still um like quippy and fun so yeah yeah the, the movie the was characters very... fe- 
Sorry. The movie was very briskly paced, I will say. And I, I like the division of basically like the space team, the Earth team, and then the Thanos ship team, essentially. It was very smart to divide everyone in the group that they were in. And having the chemistry that the characters had with each other was really smart as well because that made it really compelling to watch. If you had characters who didn't really work together or didn't really have that, any good rapport, then it wouldn't have worked. I think... Actually, the, doc- the Doctor Strange and Tony Stark team was a- almost a little thin for me just because Tony and um, Stephen Strange are like very similar. Very That's what similar. I loved about it, though. That's what Because it's two arrogant assholes who have to fight with each other to yeah, save the world. It's It works, but it didn't. I almost didn't like to watch it just because like they're so similar and they're always clashing. But having Spidey in there really helps sort of ease things in and create a more of a balance. So I think that works. Peter Quill later, who is also arrogant, and Mm -hmm. so you get three arrogant assholes who are just roaming around. Okay, except two are smart enough that they weren't being arrogant, (laughs) and one is just an idiot and the worst. Oh no, no, I agree. But like, but like as we've seen, Tony Stark and Stephen Strange have been known to be arrogant. And they kind of play oh, off. But of they that. make it work. They make it work because they're all they they have the brains to back it up. <laughs> um, uh, and then you've got uh, Star Star Lord. Um, <laughs> but I we'll, I we'll talk about characters. We'll talk about characters later. And there's so many characters. So I think we'll have. It's to... hard to talk about this movie without talking about the yeah. characters. That's oh, definitely. It is, but I do want to touch on more of like the story and the structure because I think ultimately that was my biggest beef. Is like. I liked all the characters in the film. I think Marcus and McFeely are good screenwriters for the MCU. They've been here since Captain America, the first Avenger. They wrote that. They wrote Winter Soldier. They wrote Civil War. Like, they know these characters. And so I think writing-wise and character-wise, the movie was good. I felt every character was in character, and I enjoyed them. It was the way the movie was structured that made it fall so flat for me. Because they just kept cutting back and forth? Well... But that, but it was like it was jam packed again. So I'm going to talk about how it was jam packed that you couldn't even breathe, and that for me is a problem because in this moment you need emotion, and in a movie like this you need emotional beats to breathe, and to have the characters really impact the film, and that's what I wanted, and that's my problem. And so there were two major plot points that really failed for me, um, and that's why this movie is kind of like a little meh for me. So the first was at the very beginning of the film when Loki dies. And I tried to make myself cry. <laughs> because in any other movie, if Loki had died trying to save himself and the Asgardians and his brother and called himself Odin's son instead of Laufey's son, and Thor had to helplessly watch his brother get murdered, I would have been a sobbing mess. I couldn't feel anything in this film. Now, why was that? I because wanna, it didn't like, let pull me. that apart. The it movie didn't let, didn't let me feel anything it didn't give me time to grieve or mourn it didn't give thor time to grieve or mourn it didn't it didn't build up to it enough it didn't it had no like i said no emotional resonance and after thor ragnarok and after the journey i've been on with these brothers and all the thor movies which i love and which we know are some of my favorite character relationships i felt nothing and that's a problem and then the other thing for me is the very end of the film which everyone's saying, like, it's a mic drop, and it shattered them. And so what we'll say is Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet, snaps his fingers, kills half the universe. The first person to go is Bucky, and he, like, disintegrates. And at first I gasped, because it's like, I would also sob if anything happened to Bucky, who's my favorite character in the MCU. And instead my brain was like, Sebastian Stan has five more movies left in his contract. 
And then everyone who kept disintegrating, I was like, they're killing off all the new characters and the actors who still have movies left in their contracts. And they're leaving the original Avengers team. I wonder what this could mean. Is the next movie going to be a swan song for the original Avengers? And some of them will probably die for real and they'll get back everyone who disintegrated? Yes. And so I didn't really feel anything because it felt a little bit manufactured. Do you think that's an issue with the movie itself, though, or just our larger knowledge of the MCU? If you didn't know that there were new characters, or if you didn't know that there were new movies coming out, or that, you know, there was going to be... Even event, what if they didn't even announce Avengers 4 at this point? Like, let's say they didn't. They had a different uh, model or something. They just had a release date scheduled, but no... But they don't. Why think of a hypothetical reality that doesn't exist, when the one that does exist is that we have a release date for Avengers 4, for Spider-Man 2, Ryan Kluger has talked about Black Panther 2, there are release dates for at least three untitled movies, which will ideally be Doctor Strange 2, Guardians 3. That's not the world we live in. We don't live in a world where we don't know the future. True. We live in a reality where I know this is not going to have lasting consequences. And so I think it is I think it's both. I think it's partially the fact that like we know the movie world so well and the fact that Sebastian Stan spoiled his own contract. Um, good job, Sebastian Stan. <laughs> it's all his fault. Nine movies. It's all Sebastian Stan's fault. Um so I think it's both. I think it's our knowledge. We are not the average moviegoer as we have discussed before. But I think it's also the fact that, like, it's a business, and Marvel has released their slate, and we know that. And also, mm-hmm. like, it's a Marvel movie. The villain's not going to win in the end. We know that. So I think there's still some questions about how they're going to defeat Thanos, and how they're right. going to get everyone back, and I'm curious about that. But I didn't... I wanted I wanted this movie to emotionally wreck me, and it did not. I will say it's painfully obvious when they leave basically the, the founding members of the Avengers left yeah. over. I'm like, okay, I know what you're doing here. I mean, it's, yeah. that's, I mean... But I that's, I, I think there's like, that's that. really interesting because I also felt sort of an emotional hollowness in the same way, Anya. And I don't know, I really do admire the story for being, the structure for being as tight as it is and being as okay. brisk as it is. But I do think that that comes to bite them in the back because it doesn't leave any room for the emotional moments, except for maybe Thanos. Yeah, but- Those were the moments where I felt like a little bit of a oh, tug at my heart. I was like, oh, okay. In the film. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, Josh Brolin does some really great mocap acting right he there. He really does. And I was very impressed by that. But the rest of the characters, I just didn't really feel as much. Uh, I agree with you about Loki's death. It was very, like, almost anticlimactic. Uh, Which is terrible, given how significant he's been, and especially how significant he is to Thor. Mm-hmm. And to kind of Thanos, because he was, you know, like, right away, like, he was his emissary, essentially. Yeah. The yeah. Vision Wanda moments kind of worked for me, just because Elizabeth Olsen was just, like, acting her ass off. So She and Paul Bettany are really good together. She are really, they are, she, I think they are really those good. two, and Gamora and Thanos, were the two actually solid emotional arcs of the film. Also, Okoye... She, Denai Gurira, did some, like, A-plus acting in that one scene where T'Challa disappears. She's just, like, mm-hmm. she just out-acted, like, everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. when Cap sees Bucky disappear, his face is just, like, very stony. But then Okoye, I know, I was, like, her face is, like, me breaking right now? apart. Yeah. After everything you did to get Bucky back? I think, I think, I mean, I'm trying, I, 
I'm trying to think of it from like if like Cap's perspective, like he just he's a super tired probably, and B he just. <laughs> It's probably he's probably in disbelief. He's like, I was gonna say, he's probably like shell shocked. He's probably shocked. Like the fact, yeah. uh, like, like it's it's different from seeing like someone die and there's a lifeless body in front of them, and then but and then it's different than all of a sudden like your best friend that you've known for a hundred years has just turned to ash, mm-hmm. like and like has disappeared. Yeah. Like that's no, I get different. You. I feel like I just I just need emotion between my boys. Yeah, I definitely feel like there wasn't a lot of room to breathe for other emotions in this movie, and just like the fact that there were so many characters, but they did well with the characters that they had, which is, I think something to a, a point to be given to the Russo brothers and to, uh, Mark McFeely and who's the other Marcus. screenwriter? Marcus, McFeely. Marcus and McFeely. Yeah. Marcus and McFeely. Yes, that's it is. So it, I think it helps that there's two people on the writing and two people on the directing. Cause you couldn't, I mean, Peter Jackson could do it, but I don't think these guys could. Yeah, I do. Oh, I remember what I was going to say now. I think the difference lies, um, that's where this difference lies between, like, um, Last Jedi and this film. So, like, Last Jedi, I think, took some similar risks in that it went beyond what expectations for the audience were. It killed off some really, some characters that you really didn't expect uh, to be killed off. And it did in a way that left a really resonant emotional impact. Um, Whereas here, it just feels so false. It kind of rings in a way that you're like that you're expecting more and that you're not you're expecting it to not last whereas last jedi there's such there's such a finality to it and it's done in such an expert way i really love last jedi like the more i think about it <laughs> last jedi so i'm i mean same. last jedi let's, last jedi gets better and better mm-hmm. but i think you're right i think the word compulsory really works well like this all the deaths and everything they just felt mandatory mm-hmm. they felt like labored i mean stephen strange even says it when he's disappearing he's like this had to happen. <laughs> I felt yeah, like I mean, the, one, the reason the reason he saves Tony Stark and gives Thanos the time stone is because he looked into the future and knew he had to do that. Mm-hmm. It was the one time that it worked for the, out yeah. of fourteen million. Out of fourteen million six hundred and five. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, it's just um, there were good emotional moments, and in the moment when you are watching it, you do feel like a little bit of a tug at the heartstring, but it doesn't leave any anything lingering at the end. I agree with you on that, Anya. It did for me, though. Well, that's good. I'm, that's I'm good, glad. yeah. That's mm-hmm. the thing, is like, I, you know, we always talk about how art is, object, art is subjective, and like you guys are talking about how it left you hollow. It didn't leave me hollow. It didn't leave me hollow. I was... Like, I, I knew there was a fourth movie. I know that these characters are coming back. But I think that it was, to me, for me, like, this is my own personal opinion, I thought it was executed very well. And it left me stunned. And I was like, oh boy, they actually did that. And, like, I don't know if maybe it was because I saw it opening night and I saw it with, a like, a sold-out theater of fans. And, like, we cheered at every moment. And we were like, we, everyone, like, not, not a single person Everyone gasped when Tony Stark was stabbed by Thanos. And, like, everyone was like, well, that's it for Tony Stark. Series wrap on Robert Downey Jr. Like, everyone was like, <gasps> and, like, I was too. And and then I saw him kind of, like, uh, patch himself back up. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he probably has that. So, like, I think that's a microcosm of what you guys are feeling where it's like, <gasps> and then, oh, wait, there, there's, a fix, there's a fix to it. But I would think that the ending, like, the, the fact... <laughs> The last scene 
before the credits, like not the end credit scene, um, because that's basically a leftovers pilot. Um, the first, the 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 last scene of uh, the movie proper with Thanos smiling, knowing that he accomplished his goal. It's like it's like stayed with me. It's like like burned in my head. Like him it's smiling. It's a really great ending. I think the ending shot with Thanos is brilliant. I I don't disagree with anything you're saying, in that it was done well, and like I'm glad they had like the balls to do it. Mm-hmm. But when I left the theater, I just felt so average. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but that's all. That's our experience. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad it worked for you, Willoughby. I think the movie. I mean, it may also be. I, my girlfriend and I rewatched all 18 movies, including Black Panther in theaters, like in the month leading up to this. So, like, I was invested in these in these characters day in day out. So, like, maybe it was that, but it just seemed to me that this movie worked really well on me. So let's do that. Take this chance to uh, pivot to characters. And since there are so many in this movie, 76 to be exact, um, I want to change uh, the way we talk about characters up a little bit. Let's talk about, let's each talk about your favorite character arc and your least favorite character arc. Okay. All right. While you guys think about that, I will say that my favorite character arc is probably Thanos. (laughs) He was the one with the most uh, involved and most sort of fully formed arc that we've seen in this movie. And which is kind of, it's not the fault of the movie itself. It's because this is the film that's introducing Thanos, introducing his motivation and his backstory. He's and the main character. He's basically the protagonist of the this Russos, movie. The Russos, the Russos said in the interviews that they, treat him, they treated him like the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And even at the end, they say Thanos will return instead of like mm-hmm. the Avengers will return or yeah. like Captain America will return. Like they, they specifically say Thanos. So I think it's true that he's like the main character. Yeah, and I didn't expect to be... Even though he isn't my favorite Marvel villain, I didn't expect to be quite to endear to him as much as I did, just because I was very impressed by uh, the emotion that he displayed and the again the motion that Josh Brolin displayed through the motion capture because that was amazing. Uh, the I'm very impressed by like the acting that he did and like just like everything that was going on in his face. Do you can see the tumult of emotion going through and. Um, his Those relationship- CGI tears looked real. They did look very real. They did look very real. And the emo- the relationship that he has with Gamora was really interesting to me because it picks up a little bit from what we see in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it gives a, sort of a, another twist to it. And I actually quite liked it. It was really it was a very fascinating arc for me, and one that you know he kind of kind of bookends the movie as well. You see his beginning, his middle, his end. And, you know, he get to see him finally sit at peace at the end, even though he, like, committed mass genocide and everything like that. It's really, it was, I was very impressed by how they pulled it off. Agreed. And I think, I think part of it is the talent of Josh Brolin. I think if you had a less talented actor in the role, oh, it wouldn't have landed so hard. I think Josh Brolin did such an excellent job. I think he's very underrated in terms of acting, because I feel like he doesn't get the Oscar prestige like he doesn't get like the roles that that traditional actors get and so like the like he was in no country for old men which is a a weird movie i love um, that movie it's a but i i feel like there's a lot of him just looking off into the into mm-hmm. the horizon yeah um and this one he actually has got to like emote and like do a lot of things that i feel like we haven't seen him do recently mm-hmm. um and i like that um i am not really looking forward to his portrayal of cable because i feel like it's not it's just not going to stand to what he's doing here in the, as Thanos. Agreed. 
Um, let's just do uh, favorite characters for now. Favorite character arcs. So, uh, Anya, what is your favorite character? Uh, Willoughby, what is your favorite character arc? Oh, okay. Let me run through the 30,000 characters that are coming through. Um... I mean, we spoke about Thanos a lot, so but I, I, I want to talk about someone else because otherwise we're just going to be talking about Thanos. We can always talk about Gamora. Tony? Tony went through some pretty Tony's good stuff. Tony's a good one. Here. Yeah. Tony's a good one. I want to talk about Tony. All right. Uh, be, because let's, let's be real. He's been with these movies since the beginning. And the fact that at the, at the beginning he has this dream about having a son or having a kid with uh, Pepper... And the fact, I'm first of all, I'm very glad they're back together. Uh, I'm I'm glad that Spider Man uh, basically undid what Civil War did. Yeah, that um, Civil War thing was dumb. Yeah. Um. And so I'm glad that they're like getting married and they're like thinking about their future. Although you do and- see some sort of undercurrent of um, uh, discontent in there too, which you kind of saw picked up in Civil War, and it still remains there, which is really interesting. I think they do a lot with just like the little dialogue that they have. I mean, they've they've always they've always had a contentious relationship because of who Tony is and who Pepper is, and they're yeah. they're very two different individuals, and the and I'm glad, but they make it work, and so that Tony has this compulsory effect to save the world, and he brings on his basically his he basically brings his own son along, Peter, and the fact that he's protecting Peter at the same time as trying to protect the world, and the fact that he. Uh, can't do it at the end of the movie really got to me the fact that he was holding on to parker for for deal dear life as he was like uh disintegrating and then holds his own hand that he had on peter's like body as it's like full of ash just like really got to me because it's like this dude who's worked so hard in, in his life to come back from like basically near death and he's found a way of like stabilizing his heart and stabilizing his relationship and uh and then the whole world is upended and how does one man deal with that because it's tony always even though he's a a genius billionaire uh playboy philanthropist he's a man he's a, a human man and he's dealing with things that he's never he never thought he'd have to deal with and so like i really like how iron man 3 dealt with his ptsd from the battle of new york and i like that he's been working on it he's been working on himself he's been working on his relationships and i think that infinity war does a really good job of showing where tony is at 10 years later and the fact that he is even thinking about having a son or a daughter or you know a child and the fact that he already has peter kind of as a surrogate son just accentuates that and how like he's basically like he's moving on and yet there's Thanos who's been in the back of his head for eight years uh, or six years however long it's been for Battle of New York and so I really liked that I just like I thought Downey Jr.'s performance was amazing and that the whole arc of him like basically like the whole like the movie like having him basically like getting back into the into the hero business and like doing the damnedest he can to save the world i think uh worked really well for me awesome uh anya what was your favorite character arc um i'm torn between two but i'm gonna have to go with gamora yeah um because i think zoe saldana gave one of the best performances in the movie um like you were saying ht like thanos is a big part of that as well because they're so intertwined um this it does move back to Guardians and 
the idea that the first Guardians movie should have been Gamora's because we would have had so much more of this foundation then, and it would have either let more time to breathe in this room or just, like, develop more things. So, like, I think that's unfortunate they had to do everything in this film. Yeah, like, we but, saw a lot of backstory that we probably would have seen, like, those flashbacks. We would have seen those in Guardians 1 if that was a Gamora movie. Well, that's what I'm saying, is you yeah, wouldn't have no, needed yeah. them in this film. Right. You could have done other things in this film. Mm-hmm. If the first Guardians movie had had been Gamora, as it should have been. But what we did get was really good. Um, and the two moments... Or I go, back, I go back to so many moments. They have so many good scenes together. Um, but I loved when she killed, like, the fake Thanos in the distorted reality. And she sobbed. She just, like, broke down sobbing. Because as much as she hates him, she also he has been a figure in her for her whole life. And even if she hates him, that's some sort of feeling she has towards him. And he's finally gone. And the loss that she feels almost immediately is so palpable and so fascinating. The idea of kind of like finally being rid of your abuser and you're relieved, but it's also still a loss and a hole in your life. And so I thought that was really good. I really love the scene between Thanos and little Gamora. Um, And I found the way that Thanos so easily manipulated her um, by taking her away when all her people were shot and he like wouldn't let her look to see. And she sees it almost as this like protective thing, but we know he's just manipulating and grooming her. And I just thought seeing their relationship was really fascinating and, that Gamora is so affected by him, even if she also hates him. So yeah, Gamora and Zoe Saldana is just phenomenal. Mm. Yeah, she she does really good work in this film. Um, I was surprised actually how much emotion we get from her and and Thanos in this movie. Same, I loved it so much. I I do feel though the moment between her and Peter Quill when he's about to shoot Thanos and then then, uh, pulls his gun to Gamora because Gamora said kill me if um, if he tries to take me and they have an I love you exchange Ugh. but it just feels so like you guys talk about feeling hollow that felt hollow for well, me yeah. Yeah, because Gamora and Peter's relationship is hollow it's so hollow they do not build it up over to like yeah. enough the it, whole like, chemistry the fa- is based on you're hot we're hot let's be hot together exactly it's that, it's- and it's Peter Quill and James Gunn wanting to do a Sam and Diane thing from Cheers, like he explicitly states it in, in Guardians too. Like he's like, we have a bit of a Sam and Diane thing. No, they and don't. I'm like, it's like no. Gamora's like, no, we don't. I don't even know who Sam and Diane are. And th- it's like a perfect, not it's it's the most like perfect encapsulation of it. It's like Gamora's like, no, we don't. And they and everyone, the audience is like, no, you don't. <laughs> and the fact that they do have they like they express their emotions and they say I love you at the end before. Uh, the laser gun is turned into bubbles uh, is so hollow to me. Cause it's like, well, where was this? Where was this before? Like, where was this from emotion? We didn't get this. We got arrogant Peter Quill thinking he's the bee's knees and all of that. And Gamora just didn't want to do anything with him. Um, and I do think that, I mean, Zoe Saldana did act the hell out of it. I feel like the acting was great in that scene, but there was, it left me hollow because the previous films did not build that up. Agreed. Can I? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take over a bit so I can talk about my least favorite because it. we're already touching on it because <laughs> it's obviously Peter Quill because he is the absolute worst. Yeah. 
and I can't stand him. And I'm so glad he disintegrated. So, a few things. I mean, I, I've disliked Peter Quill since the first Guardians. We all know my feelings about the Guardians. You love them. I don't like them as movies. I like the team individually other than Peter Quill. <laughs> I think the characters individually have merits. But Peter Quill does not. And for so many reasons. I think what you were saying, Willoughby, he he just so rings so hollow as a hero when you have heroes like... Tony Stark, or even for me personally, Doctor Strange or Thor, who all go through like growth uh, through their arrogance and their own belief in themselves. Thor is one of the most arrogant characters at the start of the movie. Yeah, and he becomes one of the most humble and noble and true. And Peter Quill just never does, and that's fine. But that is not a character type that I like, and it really shows in this film. For so many reasons. I think first, when I was talking about how we never got time to, like, grieve Loki, Thor could have had that time had Peter not immediately been threatened by him because masculinity is so fragile. Yeah. Yeah. He immediately started making quips, and I was like, this is not what I want in this scene. Like, I want characters meeting and connecting and having emotional beats, and instead Peter is making it all about himself. And, again, this is not bad writing, it's just that I cannot stand Peter as a character. Right. So it's like in character, that's something it's he good. would do. Yes, it's but it's it's good interaction, but at the same time, because you love Thor so much and hate Peter so much, it's just you would rather see them it do a different ruins. Scene. That's why, like, I actually I liked this scene between Thor and Rocket so much more when Rocket oh, they was were like, great. I have to be captain," and you know, Peter makes it all about himself, and then like people are yes, yes, he almost killed Gamora, he was gonna make that decision, like, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but then, he ruins it! He ruins it! When they almost had the gauntlet off Thanos, can't control his goddamn stupid white boy emotions! <laughs> but is that not in character of Peter Quill to do that? Okay, but, like, I don't care. Because literally <laughs> everyone else in this film had resilience and had restraint and they knew what they had to do. Wanda had to kill her boyfriend and then watch him get brought back to life only to get murdered again. And we Peter couldn't keep his goddamn emotions in check for one minute and ruined everything. They're talking about how women are too emotional to be in positions of power. Like, let me introduce you to Peter Quill. It's almost like he's in Arrested Development. Anyway, I hate Peter Quill, you guys. <laughs> That's my. I realized I did not. I was not eloquent at all. But no, I'm it's okay. No, it was. I, it I enjoyed sense. that. I enjoy you see, hearing you rant about the Guardians. <laughs> well, it's very I, fun. My least favorite character arc is actually going to be something of a controversy, but <gasps> Who is it, it was Thor's because Ooh. I actually love you know I love everything about the character. But his whole story was about him going off to, like, find a hammer or find a new weapon and then come back to fight to Earth. And like Anya was saying, there wasn't any time given to him to grieve, to go through the emotional trauma that he just faced. And it was treated with sort of this levity that I didn't think was appropriate for, like, what he just went through. Losing his his people, losing his brother, losing his best friend. And... I was I felt underwhelmed by what his story arc basically entailed, which was like going to this dwarf star and running into Peter Dinklage, giant Peter Dinklage, and I was like, giant uh, Peter Dinklage. yeah, and I was like, this this was the arc that I felt to me the most sort of 
inconsequent, uh, inconsequential. Even though I really like Thor and I like the whole rapport that he has with uh, Rocket and everything like that. I like their character dynamic. I just wish that maybe it had more, either more to do with the story or more to do with Thor's own process of grieving and his arc and that kind of thing. I want to completely agree with you because I thought he had the chance to be one of the better arcs in the film. And I think it also does a complete disservice to where he is at the end of Ragnarok. So, like, not only did he have the trauma of losing Heimdall and Loki, but he also just lost his home and, like, a lot of his people. Yeah. And you had the chance for him to, like, realize, like, I'm still the leader of the Asgardians. Like, I'm still, like, Thor. And... I have this purpose and you get glimpses of it and like he needs a hammer and like he needs the weapon. I get that. And the group bit was cute too with the handle. But then like at the end of Thor Ragnarok, it's like he doesn't need the hammer because he's the god of thunder. And I felt like this completely undercuts that. I'm like, but we just went through a whole movie where you talked about how he didn't need a hammer. Right. So Except now he does because Thanos exists, I guess. Yeah, I guess. And now he has an axe though. It's not a hammer though. It's an axe. I mean, his axe is cool, but it's like it doesn't delve into like this you know, the maybe the fact that he he just saved his entire people only to lose them again. Yeah, and I don't really... I, I was really confused for a lot of it. I'm like, did they all die? Did he, like, save them? I'm going to assume, for my own sanity, because he was like, I lost half my people mm-hmm. with Thanos. I'm going to assume that Valkyrie got so oh, yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. That's my assumption, because they can't kill the Valkyrie. I refuse. Yeah. Also, she's not in the... She's not anywhere in the... The movie. Like vicinity yeah uh, yeah you would think they would have shown her if yeah. he had died agreed it just like it felt to me almost like his arc didn't mean anything even as he has like the most emotional trauma at the beginning of the film yeah. it, there's no payoff and i was like i don't understand what the point of this story arc is it's so fr- i think it's that one's even worse because like we love Thor and it has the potential to be good. Yeah. Mm. And I, I love the moments that he has. And I love that they continue the Thor that we meet in Thor Ragnarok. It just doesn't feel like the story lives up to that. So that's my least favorite character arc. Will be, what about yours? Mine isn't so much a character as a trio of characters. It's going to be Cap, uh, Natasha and, uh, Sam. Um, because I feel like the three of them, they come in strong. Like, I think the, the the moment when Cap arrives, like my audi- the audience, like just erupted in in cheers and applause because it's such, it was such a great entrance, and I was like, great, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get Cap and he's gonna be amazing in this movie. He's gonna have like such great like lines because you know Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers have been dealing with Cap for basically seven years now, so they're like you know his be- his his bread and butter, but then we really don't get the, a lot of their characters a lot like they don't speak a lot and they don't have a lot of agency in the movie they're just sort of moving with the plot i think cap is the one that takes them to wakanda but that's like his only real moment of agency where he's like we gotta do something about this and so we're like let's take vision to um uh wakanda and i but i think that that's kind of like the the most of it and i feel and sam i mean sam after winter soldier has never really had too much of a character arc except maybe in civil war um and natasha really doesn't have a lot either she has one moment with bruce um that wasn't as awkward as anything in age of ultron but it was awkward because it's like seeing your ex after three years um 
And so I think that they did that was that was fine, but I feel like as they are like these like nomad Avengers, like they didn't really have too much to do. So my hope is that they have more to do in the part two. All right, um, so we're running a little long, so I think we're going to have to skip <laughs> going into theme. But I think how about t- a part two, guys, in a year? <laughs> <laughs> There's a cliffhanger I mean. for you guys. Um, we're going to have to skip going into theme, but I think we already touched on a lot of uh, the themes and like the issues that we had with Infinity War. It's about sacrifice, exactly. Um, so let's uh, wrap up our discussion on Infinity War by giving our rating for for this movie. Out of five stars, what would you guys give this movie? Uh, Willoughby, you go first. Four. Four stars? Okay. Anya, you next. Oh, man. You can do decimals. I know. This is hard. Um, I think I will give it a three. I also give it a solid three. So, out of that, it is 3.3 out of 5 stars from the Millennial Falcon. But if any of you out there want to talk about how great it is, uh, contact me on Twitter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Willby, why don't you start us off this week? What's you really like? So, uh, have you guys watched Wild Wild Country? I've watched the first episode. It's so good. Uh, This is my really, really like. Uh, I watched all six episodes, uh, and I find it incredibly fascinating because it's just the six hours of documentary about this cult that, you know, moves to Oregon and this little town is taken over by the cult, and they're like, you know, these like retirees who have nothing better to do in their lives except, you know, be farmers and stuff. And suddenly, these like hippies and followers of the Bhagwan from India like come in and they take over the town. They have their own. They they incorporate themselves, so they have a police force and a public school education system and a mayor and a city council. It's wild, and they take over Antelope as a town. Like the town basically like is absorbed into. Rajneeshpuram, which is what the town is, the the city is called, and what fascinates me the most is that this this te- this was national news for like five years in the eighties, and yet I had never heard of this story until like I saw the documentary. Like we've heard of Jonestown, like the the people who drink the, drank the Kool Aid, thinking they were going to be sent onto an asteroid, but we we haven't heard about this. And what's wild is that. They do they do a lot of illegal things to people in Oregon, and I won't go into the spoilers because it's really fascinating. I think everyone should watch. But like the fact that they do all this, and it's so wild that you know, like they're just trying to like protect themselves, but they go a little bit too far. Um, and the backstabbing that's involved within the cult themselves, and people trying to get out of the cult, and people who people who to this day are still like followers of the Bhagwan and it's really kind of it's really fascinating um and it's really well done uh there because it was national news and because because it was so like prevalent um with local journalists there's archive footage for basically everything there's like two or three scenes that need to be recreated with drawings but like for the most part everything is archival footage um 
and then you have some B-roll of what the town looks like now and what um and, and like the interviews are all like with modern cameras and they do this the first episode does this really interesting cut uh cutting back and forth between the archival footage of like a building like 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 the like the city council building and then it'll cut to uh the like the 4K uh, high definition cameras that are doing like a slow pan in like the same angle, but like 30 years in the future. And it's really fascinating to see how like this has changed or not changed. Um, so I'd really give wild, wild country a recommendation. If you're really fascinated by like cults and like groups of people who are like, you know, under un- basically under the influence of like one person and like what that does to the people next to them. Um, and yeah, Awesome. I definitely want to check it out. It's on my list. Yeah. yeah. All right, Anya, what's your really like for this week? All right, I have another TV recommendation for you guys. Um, it is the four-part adaptation of Howard's End on Stars. The fourth and final part airs tonight. It is a period drama starring Haley Atwell, speaking of MCU people, and Matthew McFadden, and it takes place in 20th century England, and it follows... Three intersecting families, one wealthy, one middle class, and one lower class. Um, And it is lush and beautiful and wonderfully written. It's a book that I've actually never read, and I've never seen an adaptation of it before, so I didn't know much about it going in. Um, Shocker for me in British period dramas, but... Um, it's just really lovely and the characters are also great and they have really interesting relationships with one another and guys, I've just missed Haley Atwell. She's so good. Did you guys watch her on that ABC show? Not Agent Carter, but the one she did out there? No, because that did not look good. It's not good. It's like a really bad how to get away with murder. Yeah. Or a really bad scandal. Howard's End is great and she is great in it and again, it's just four episodes, an hour each, so it's pretty easy to get through. And I know period dramas aren't for everyone, but I could get, like, sucked into them all day. And this one is a really beautiful, well-told one. And I am enjoying it. And I'm excited to watch the last episode. Awesome. All right. Uh, so my really like for this week doesn't have to do with TV or Netflix, but a film festival that I got to attend. So you guys may have noticed that I wasn't here for the last episode, and that's because I was covering the Tribeca Film Festival in New York for Slash Film. Uh, it was really exciting. It was my first film festival that I was covering for work, and I got to watch a slew of movies, uh, many of them directorial debuts, and many of them very good. A lot of them so-so, but uh, I had a little great time. Some of the movies I watched were... Um, that I would recommend from the fil- from the festival is Little Woods, which starred Tessa Thompson and Lily James, your girl. Lily James! And that one is a really great directorial debut from Nia DeSantos, I think um, is her name. And uh, it's sort of the female response to Hell or High Water. Uh, it's, it's a neo-Western that's said, like, in middle, set in middle America in an economically economically depressed town uh, about two sisters who are trying to keep their mom's house from being foreclosed and uh, at any cost. So it's um, it's a really great, really 
quiet, intense film that I highly recommend. It's probably my favorite movie of the ones I saw there. Other movies I would recommend is Karen Gillan's directorial debut, The Party's Just Beginning. It's a really phenomenal, really promising directorial, de- directorial debut that she also stars in. It's very good. And it also reminds me that people should watch Selfie because Selfie is so good. <sighs> Lee Pace is also in her movie, right? Who is? Lee Pace? Yes, Lee Pace is in it. And he's fun. Um, yeah. Other films that were good are Miseducation of Cameron Post, uh, which is a young it's like a teenage coming of age film starring Chloe Moretz Grace and uh, it's about a girl who's um, a lesbian and gets sent to a gets sent to a gay conversion camp um, really great coming of age movie as well as a LGBT movie and then another one was uh, Disobedience uh, starring Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weiss uh, which uh, Anya also saw and wrote a review of a really good film kind of um I wouldn't say I liked it as much as the director's last film uh, fantastic woman but it's still it's really impressive and uh rachel mcadams is so good in it she's so good she's amazing so those are my recommendations from the festival of the ones i saw and uh, i had so much fun writing about it and covering it and i got to see steven spielberg and liam neeson and ben kingsley on stage at a schindler's list retrospective so that was pretty cool good way to cap off my festival so that's yeah, awesome it was a fun time I'm glad you had a good time ht thanks all right, well, that is our episode. Um, if you guys have any thoughts on Avengers Infinity War or any of the Tribeca films or Wild Wild Country or Howard's End, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast, where you can uh, follow us and give us a like. Um, our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com we're also on itunes and soundcloud and google play where you can rate review and subscribe to us um and where can they find you guys you can find me at htranbui on twitter you can find me at anya crittenton on twitter and you can find me at willoughby dobbs on twitter all right thanks for joining us guys bye bye, bye.